0: You're listening to the Presence Pioneers Podcast. Lord, we love you and thank you for what you're already doing in our hearts this morning and, uh, Pray, Holy Spirit, that, that the coffee that we got would kick in so we could engage with you uh, during this next 45 minutes. Pray that you would speak to us, that you would remind us of things, of what reawaken things in our hearts, bring fresh revelation to those that need it. And I pray that uh, there would be clarity that comes and uh, understanding of your faithfulness and your zeal and your desire to accomplish your purposes and to have us be a part of that and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk about Psalms chapter 132, and for those of you who are involved in the prayer movement, prayer and worship movement, this is not going to be a new chapter, but as I, as I prayed about what we wanted to do for this session, you know, we gave Billy the topic of rest, and God did his little dad joke with me like he loves to do, and he said, You can talk about resting places. So we'll talk about rest and then resting places. So this is just the way God God speaks to me. But I want to remind us of what it means to really be a present-centered leader. That's kind of how we communicated this gathering is we want to invite present-centered pastors and ministry leaders to come and be here. And what does that actually mean? And so I want to, if you have your Bible, I encourage you flip to Psalms chapter 132 because we're going to basically look at every verse in this and read through it. Actually, I'll read through it here at the beginning and then we'll dive in. 132 verse one, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go to the comfort of my bed. I'll not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go to his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away from the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread I will clothe her priest with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. So back in like 2009-ish, I was actually involved in youth ministry some, and was helping to bring together youth groups uh, once a month for worship nights. And we called it dwell. Because of the next chapter, Psalms 133, which is how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And I was scheduled to, to speak at one of these dwell nights. And as I was studying, God drew me back to Psalm 132, to his dwelling place. And I realized that there was a connection between Psalm 132 and 133. And I kind of forgot about it for years. And then fast forward four or five years later, and I was on a prayer retreat. And uh, heard the Lord spoke so clearly, Psalm 132, 133, 134 together. And I, at that time, I could remember what Psalm 133 was, but I couldn't remember what the other two chapters were. And I, I came and looked them up, and I saw 132, and I said, this is David's desire for a resting place for God's presence. Psalm 133 is about unity, and Psalm 134 is about the night watch, those who minister to the Lord in the night hours in the tabernacle and, and, in the temple. And I said, uh, so Lord, what, what is, what is the connection, uh, between these, between these three chapters? And he said, I want you to find those that have Psalm 132 in their hearts, help them to be in Psalm 133 unity to see Psalm 134 established. And so I, I knew that God was giving me some kind of assignment related to connecting to Those that have the heart of David that are pioneering places of his presence in their cities, helping them be together in unity and also pursuing day and night prayer and worship. And so I said, Lord, what is, you know, what does it mean? Psalm 132 in their hearts. Like, what is that? Uh, I was involved in burn 24 seven at the time. And uh, I was like, is this like burn leaders? Is this house of prayer people? Like, what is it? And he said, it's the presence pioneers. He said, it's those that are pioneering places of my presence in their cities. And so uh, that's a word I've carried in my heart now for 10 years. Um, and I believe you guys, if you're here, your presence pioneers. Uh, that's in, in the language God's used with me. You guys are the ones that are hosting his presence. You're hosting events, churches, prayer rooms, where the presence of God is central. And um, and so God's desire is that we would be together in unity, and that's even at the heart What's happening here? And actually in that same encounter uh, is when God said, talk to David Bradshaw (laughs) and uh, and and really David and I's connection really deepened around uh, this idea. And Psalm 132 and um, and there's more to the story I could share, but I don't want to get off in the weeds too much on that. Um, But really that I feel like even what's happened in, in the last few years with my involvement with Awaken the Dawn and everything is connected to this as well as other stories that, that are really in God's heart where he's saying, I want to have a place where my presence can rest in cities. I want to raise up leaders who are presence-oriented leaders, and I want them to be connected to each other in love and, and real relationship. And so with, with, that in, with that in mind, I want to look at Psalm 132 because I believe God's desire is that we would be those that have Psalm 132 in our hearts, that we would be those like David who are longing to host the presence of God in our day and in our time. So I'm going to teach a little bit. Is that okay? All right. Great. <laughs> because you signed up and here you are. So um, the context of Psalm 132, I have this great little chart. If I think it's in the notes. Is this on? Yes. All right. So Psalm 132 was probably written by Solomon, David's son. And it's a chapter where he's recounting David's story, really, his journey, but specifically the vow and his passion to see a resting place for God's presence. And then it's recounting God's commitment to David to establish his presence and to make a covenant with David that will last forever. And so as you read through it and you study it, you see that there's basically two halves. The first half is... Which, which would be the second column here, David's vow to God. And then the second half of the psalm is God's vow to David. And so you see parallels as you go, th- as you go through this, and you, we can just look at the, ch- the chart here real quick. Uh, David makes a vow to the Lord. It says, David, in all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord to find a place for the Lord. And then verse 11 through 12, the Lord swears to David. Verses 5 through 8, you see David's longing for a place, a dwelling place, a resting place for the presence of God. Verse 13 through 14, God says that he has a a dwelling place. He has a resting place. Verse 9, you see this language of priests who are clothed with righteousness and saints who shout for joy. And you see the same thing repeated in verses 15, 16. And then at the end, you see the anointed one uh, in verses 10 and then paralleled in verse 17 through 18. So you guys can kind of see how this is... a parallel Psalm. You see the first half and then the same pattern is repeated in the second half. And the first half is David's vow to the Lord. And the second half is God's vow to David. So David had a vision. There was something he was longing for, aiming for, desiring that had not yet manifested. It was, it was burning in his heart. He was longing for it. And that's what caused him to make a vow. So there was a vision he had and there was a vow that he made in light of that vision. And then the second half, you see God has a vision. He has something he wants to accomplish. And then he makes a vow. He swears. He makes a covenant with David to accomplish what he wants to do. So there's a vision and there's a vow. And so what I want to do is I want to do my best to bring some clarity around what I believe was in David's heart and what's in God's heart, that vision that David saw, that thing that Jesus desires and so that as we are pursuing it, we know what we're actually going after. <laughs> and that as we're inviting others into it, we can speak with clarity as to what it means that we're wanting to do things like host the presence of God. Like, what does that even mean, right? What does it mean that we're a presence-centered prayer culture type of people? And so I think this psalm brings some clarity to what that actually means. So I have sort of four... Uh, distinctives here under clarifying the vision in my notes. I just want to speak into, and then I want to talk about the vow. Does that make sense so far? You guys tracking? Clarifying the vision, God's omnipresence versus manifest presence. So when we start saying we want to be presence-oriented people, uh, it's helpful to distinguish between the fact that God is everywhere in his omnipresence, but that God manifests his presence. And some of this may be 101 to you guys, but it's not to everybody. So when you start talking about we're gonna host prayer rooms with the presence of God and establish churches and do ten events and do burns and we're gonna host the presence of God, some people go, What I've got the presence of God with me right now. He's well, he's everywhere. We don't need to do that, right? And so we need to understand the, the difference between the fact that God is everywhere, and David understood this. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? You know, if I go to the highest heights, you're there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you're there, right? So David realized that there was the manifest, I mean, the omnipresence of God, excuse me, that God is everywhere. There's a sense in which God's in everything, but there's another sense in which God manifests his presence among us uh, when we gather together, and especially as we gather together to worship and to pray. And that is what we're desiring, is the manifest presence of God. That's why Jesus could say things like, where two or more gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Obviously, that's something unique and special that happens at certain times where he manifests his presence in a particular way. And that's what we're longing for. And the scriptures do emphasize the omnipresence of God, but there's moments where God shows up, right? There's times when God moves, and that's what we're longing for. That's our desire, right? We want the, the glory of God in the midst of us, in the midst of our cities, in the midst of our communities, in the midst of our churches, in the midst of our nation. And so, I mean, there's obvious situations here, right? I have some at the bottom of the page. When God, when the glory of the Lord fills the temple, when the Holy Spirit's poured out at Pentecost, when the church at Jerusalem is shaken in Acts 4, Peter hears the voice of God on Acts 10 on the rooftop. God breaks in at the church at Antioch when they're ministering to him and he speaks, right? You could list 20 more times where, 50 more times probably, where God shows up, right? And it's not his omnipresence, it's his manifest presence with him, uh, with his people. And that's what we're desiring. And when we say presence, I do think it's helpful to also understand that God's presence is relational and, uh, and there's... There's this theology book I came across a few years ago that was just uses this phrase, God's relational presence. And I just love that, Um, that when we speak of his presence, it's it's not an it, right? It's not like something God sends to us. It's he comes, right? He makes himself known and he is with us. And the personal loving God comes and manifests himself and comes and meets with us. And so I believe that's what David was longing for. Uh, and I believe that's what, as present centered people, we need to pursue his manifest presence. The other point of clarity I think that is helpful when we talk about being present centered communities and present centered leaders is the idea of personal breakthrough versus corporate breakthrough. And so, you know, a lot of times when we are contending in prayer, when we're pursuing revival, when we're hungry and longing for more, and we're calling other people to, to go hard after God and to, to seek him, that kind of thing. Sometimes people will push back against that and say, well, I've already got it. I've already got an open heaven over my life. I've already, you know, I, I'm in the kingdom of God. What, what, why are you contending in prayer? You know, why are you doing hours and hours of worship and prayer for something that we've already got? Jesus already paid for it. And there can be some misunderstanding between what we have in our own hearts versus what we're experiencing on a corporate level in our churches, in our cities, and in our nation. And so just because we have an open heaven over our lives doesn't mean that our family and our friends and our cities and our churches and our nation are living in that same reality, right? And so that's the thing that we're pursuing and that we're contending for. And so when David says, verse 5, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. The word place there, it, it means a geography. It means a land. I mean, it means space. And so when we're saying we want a place for God, we're not just saying we want a sense of God's presence in our heart. We're saying we want God's glory to come and to rest among us in a p- geographic space. Then that can happen. And that has happened and that will continue to happen. God's glory and presence can fill spaces. I mean, I drove up to Asbury on the last day on the collegiate day of prayer and you could feel as you're even getting close to that space, you could feel the presence of God. And as you got closer to the auditorium and in the auditorium before the meeting, even meeting even started, God's glory was resting in that space. You know, it was, it was in the place. Um, and even before people started singing or praying, God's presence was resting there. And if you read revival history, you know, and you hear the stories, you, you people drive into towns and begin to weep as they feel the presence of God and the conviction of God as they come into places. This can happen. God can rest in a place. And uh, and I know we've seen that probably in micro scale and macro scale, right? There's There's... We have great meetings and God's glory is there, and people come in and immediately experience God. It happens uh, in, in, on a bigger scale as well. But this is an important distinction, I feel like, is that we're longing for something not just in our own hearts, but we're longing for something for our, our communities, for our cities, for our nation. And I think that's what David was longing for here when he says, I'm I want a place for God. Uh, I think Psalm 27.4, to me, that's like David's heart. He's saying, this is what I want for my heart. I want to dwell in your house. I want to gaze upon your beauty and inquire of the Lord. But I feel like Psalm 132 is his desire for a corporate breakthrough uh, for Jerusalem and for Israel. Um, you know, the monks used to call those places thin places. That was, a, that was the phrase they would use for, they said it was the space between heaven and earth was thin. And, and they would say there were these places you could go. Lou Engle uses the term wells of revival, right? There's these places you can go. Charismatic people sometimes say portals or whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, they say not portal, <laughs> Not portals. <laughs> <laughs> portals is not in my notes. Um, so No, but you guys understand what I'm saying. That There's places where God's presence and glory can rest. And we want to host him. And we want his presence to come and his kingdom to come in our cities, in our nation. Um, The third point of clarity is that between experiencing God's presence and hosting God's presence. I think this is really where leadership comes into play. If you look at this, I've got in my notes here verses 7 and 8 from Psalm 132. It says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephratah. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. We found it in the fields of Jer. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. So this is a little bit cryptic, so I'll explain it. The, we heard of it in Ephratah. This is Bethlehem. It's another word for Bethlehem if you look at Micah 5.2. So this is where David grew up. This is, this is his hometown. So David's growing up in Bethlehem. He's hearing about the Ark of the Covenant, which is called the, the footstool of the Lord. And he's hearing about it, saying there's, there's a place, there's a resting place called the Ark where God's glory rests. And they, they're hearing about it as he's growing up in Bethlehem. And then it says, we found it in the fields of Jer, uh, which means fields of stone, uh, which is another term for Kiriath-Jerim which is where David actually ended up finding the ark before he brought it to Jerusalem. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Not, not trying to get too far in the weeds, but I'm just trying to give you the understanding of the story of what's happening. It's recounting David's journey. He grew up in Bethlehem. He's hearing about the ark, going, there's a place where God's, God's presence rests. I want to go to it. Uh, we found it. We found it. It's in Kiriath-Jerim. Let's go there and go visit the ark of the covenant. So there's this initial desire we have as believers, we want to experience the presence of God. But there's a shift. Look, then it goes, verse 8, arise, Lord, go to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. So in verse 7, it says, let us go. And then in verse 8, God is going somewhere. So there's a shift between us going and visiting where God is versus us preparing a resting place and inviting God to come to where we have created a place for him to dwell. Do you guys see that? And I believe this is David's journey where he grew up hungry for the presence of God. He grew up on the hillsides learning to worship, minister to the Lord. He heard about the Ark of the Covenant growing up. He wanted to go visit and experience it. And as he got older, it went from I want to experience God to I want to host God. I want to host him for me, for my nation, for my city. And so, this is the difference between a visitation and a habitation, right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to experience the presence of God. We all do, right? Um, but as we grow, I believe, and, and especially as leaders, there needs to be this shift in our heart where we, we don't just say, oh, we're going to go to the thing, but we're going to prepare a place for where we are to be a thing, <laughs> where God is, right? Where his glory and his presence rest. And uh, so this is the difference between experiencing versus hosting. And uh, I believe we are called uh, as presence-oriented leaders to host the presence of God, to be those Levites, to be those presence pioneers, to be those like David that uh, prepare a place for him. Um, This verse 8 where it says, Arise, O Lord. This is a throwback to the phrase that they would use when they moved the ark and they would move the tabernacle in the days of Moses If the tabernacle was set up and it had to move, they would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And then the ark would begin to move, and they would carry it to the next location. So when David says, Arise, O Lord, he's saying, God, let the ark. I don't want to just go to the ark. I want the ark to come here where I am uh, into my city and into my nation. And it's actually connected to Psalm 68, uh, where you see that beautiful story of the procession, which has been a big part of ATD's history. Um, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. So th- there's this idea of let the presence of God moving and coming to where David has prepared a place for him, which is in Jerusalem, and God confronting his enemies along the way. Does that make sense? You guys, track him. Experience versus hosting the presence of God. His omnipresence versus his manifest presence, and the personal breakthrough versus the corporate breakthrough. The other, the other point I feel like is. Is helpful clarity. Point number four here is kingdom now versus kingdom not yet. So when we invite the presence of God, we're inviting the kingdom of God. When the king comes, the kingdom comes. So when we're saying we want God's presence, we're not just saying we want the worship goosebumps, right, and the, the joyful moment. We're inviting God to come and have his way. We're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done among us. And if God's presence comes, he will begin to confront anything that opposes love. He will begin to confront the enemy. He will begin to heal what's sick. He'll begin to restore what's broken. That's what happens when his manifest presence comes. And so we need to understand the dynamics of the kingdom of God if we're going to invite his presence into our midst. Um David uses two different phrases. He uses the phrase dwelling place and the phrase resting place. And so they sort of mean the same thing, but the word resting place has some unique connotation to it. And it points back to this idea of rest. When when God created the world, six days he worked, the seventh day the Lord rested. And so... It doesn't mean that God was tired and it needs a break. What it means is God created the world and it was perfect. It was exactly how he wanted it. His kingdom was on the earth. His will was being done on the earth. And therefore, the earth was the resting place of God. God rested. This, the earth was his resting place. Whenever you see the Lord rising up in scriptures, standing up, it means there's something that's in conflict with him and his kingdom. He has to rise up and confront it. When the Lord comes and sits and rests in a place, it means that things are the way they should be, and he has his way. So when we're inviting uh, God to come and rest among us, when we're trying to create a resting place for God, we're not just asking for his presence, we're asking for his kingdom, that he would literally come and rule and reign and have his way, that there would be a place where there's no opposition to his will and desire and purposes. So we want a dwelling place, but we want a resting place where his kingdom comes and his will is done. Hey guys, this is Matthew. We'll get back to the episode in just a moment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider joining Presence Pioneers Premium, our brand new subscriber community. Paid subscribers will get exclusive premium content such as bonus podcast episodes, exclusive articles, early releases, and more. Presence Pioneers will be releasing its first e-course in 2024 with many more to come. And the Presence Pioneers premium subscribers will always have full access to the entire library of online courses. Visit media.com. Dot PresencePioneers.org, or click the link in the description to join today. You can become a premium member today for an introductory price of only $5 a month. When the price goes up in the future, as our library of resources grows, you can stay subscribed at the original price. If you've enjoyed our podcast for a while, becoming a premium member is a simple way for you to help us cover the cost. Of producing this podcast and partner with Presence Pioneers in equipping the church with resources for day and night prayer, prophetic worship, missions, and revival. Visit media.presencepioneers.org to sign up today. No resistance, no strife, no sin. It's that pointing to perfection, right? That pointing to Sabbath, that shalom. That's wh- that's what we're after. So we're not just wanting to have good meetings, <laughs> although I love great meetings. Uh, we're not just want to have good events, right? But we really want the kingdom of God to come. Now, if we're going to talk about the kingdom of God coming, we have to understand that the kingdom of God in this age is both now and not yet. So the kingdom of God has come in Jesus, but it's come as a seed. It's come like leaven in dough that works its way throughout the earth but it will come in fullness when Jesus comes again and reign, rules and reigns on the earth and so the temptation is to overemphasize one or the other and some people overemphasize the kingdom now and in in, as if heaven is here <laughs> and uh, it takes about you know Ten seconds on social media or on the news website to realize the kingdom of God is not here. In fullness, right? But then some people overemphasize the kingdom to come and disregard the fact that Jesus has come. He has put his spirit in us. He has an ecclesia on the earth. He has a church that is here to manifest and expand his kingdom into the earth. And the kingdom of God is growing. The increase of his government and peace will have no end, and that's breaking out right now, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it's growing, and it will crescendo uh, at the end of the age to the return of Jesus to fully manifest his kingdom uh, on the earth. But we live in the tension between the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. And so sometimes when we are contending, pursuing, uh, you know, working, leading people to the presence of God, to see the kingdom of God, to see revival, to see awakening in our cities, in our nation, you'll run into the different extreme positions on the kingdom of God. And we, we live in the tension of the kingdom of God is here, but not yet, and it's manifesting. So we rest in our identity in Christ. We rest in our hope that is to come. Uh, but we also contend and pursue and work and labor towards the f- fullness of the kingdom of God and seeing the great commission fulfilled and seeing the kingdom of God grow, seeing transformation and reformation in our cities and our nations as well at the same time. That makes sense. You guys tracking? Kingdom is now, kingdom is not yet. So we live in that tension and it's uh, the tension of the age. Um, But uh, the kingdom is coming and uh, the, the vision that David has, in Psalm 132, I believe, when he says, come to your resting place, I think David's maybe touching on some of that. I think he probably has an idea, but probably doesn't have the full idea. I think that's probably why the the covenant Jesus makes with him uh, was was a bit surprising to him. I think he was probably maybe thinking Israel and Jerusalem, and, and God was thinking the nations. <laughs> and David tapped into that a little bit, but I don't, I don't know. I'm speculating a bit here. But, uh, but I know what God's vision is. And he lays that out here at the end of this chapter, Psalm 132. have it point D on my notes here. The vision is Jesus, the anointed one, ruling and reigning the nations from Jerusalem forever with provision, joyful worship, and victory over every enemy. This is God's vision. Again, it's not just he would come and, and help us have gr- better church services and ten events, <laughs> which, is, which are great. But it's that Jesus would come and have His way on the earth, and we know we get a, we get an experience of that um, foretaste of glory divine in this age, and then we look with hope uh, for the age to come, and we prepare the way for Jesus to come. And there's some things that have to take place in terms of the Great Commission, uh, I believe, before uh, Jesus will, will come again, and we we pursue those things together. So. Um, all four of these points create tension. Um, I'm at the bottom of page. Pages aren't numbered, so whatever page this is. <laughs> it says down at the bottom, the tension. All four of these, all four of these vision points create tension in the hearts and lives of a worshiper. We know God is present, but we want him to manifest that present. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but that kingdom is not yet on the earth in fullness. We have an open heaven over our lives, but we do not yet see it over our cities. We are experiencing God's presence, but we want others to taste what we've tasted. The vision creates tension that leads to the vow. So that's um, my last point or my last section here is the vow that David's makes. And more importantly, the vow that God makes. I'm gonna actually do point number two here, David's vow. So this is the vision, like I've just been laying out. This is what David is seeing and longing for. And what does David do? He goes, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So so the dream required a response. The vision fuels the vow. When we see Jesus, the price tag disappears. Like Isaiah, who saw the Lord high and lifted up and said, here I am, send me. David, I believe, had some insight into what God wanted to do. And he said, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we want you. We want your presence. We want a resting place and a dwelling place for you. So David, like, overstates his commitment, right? <laughs> he says, I'm not even going to sleep, God, until you come. You know, and it's like, obviously, David slept, right, actually. And it says, was it Psalm 127? The Lord gives his beloved sleep. So <laughs> that's David, too. Um, But I can just imagine David in this moment of of hunger and desire and vision burning in his heart. And and what he's saying is, God, interrupt my life. Interrupt the normal rhythms of my life, the normal flow of my life. And whatever it takes, Lord, I want what you want. I want your presence. I want your kingdom. And so David was locked into this vision. And I believe you guys are and are becoming, we are trying to stay in this place of until. God, whatever you want, until you come, Lord, we will make sacrifices, we will surrender, we will do what it takes, we want you. We want your presence, we need your presence, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Um, God is raising up those who lay down their lives for the gospel until. God is raising up those who will pray and fast until. Uh, we, f- we fix our eyes and press on until, until his kingdom comes, until his will is done. Um, here's the thing. I know you guys are like, you, you guys are already these people. You're the until people. You're the Psalm 132 people. You're the Davidic heart presence pioneer people. Uh, when you set your heart to build and host the presence of God, to build a resting place for him, There is affliction. (laughs) There is trouble. And (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. (laughs) And his afflictions were connected to this yearning in his heart. Uh, You know, I mean, it started with the journey with Saul, right? We know the story. We're not going to rehash that, but... You know, Saul was persecuting him. He was fleeing. He was trying to be killed. Uh, Finally, David becomes the king, and he's got his glorious, like, this is his ministry breakthrough moment. He's bringing the ark into Jerusalem. All 12 tribes are united together, and then his wife is like, what are you doing? (laughs) It's like the person closest to him brings an accusation against him, and it's like, oh, you know, I can't imagine the, the pain in his heart. It's like, finally got past Saul. Now my wife is... (laughs) <laughs> you know, accusing me uh, in this moment where I thought I was coming into my destiny. And, um, you know, Psalm 69, I don't know if you've, you guys have looked at Psalm 69. This is sort of D- David's lament about his afflictions and his reproach that he's, he's suffering. And uh, he says he's become the song of the drunkards. And, uh, you know, D- David's, and he says why? Uh, here, Psalm 69, 9, for zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This is the reason David gives for why he's suffering reproach and affliction, is because of the zeal in his heart for God's house. For this desire for a resting place, for his desire for God's presence and kingdom, this is what is causing the tension in his life and the affliction in his life. And so if you're experiencing pushback, if you're experiencing warfare, if you're experiencing accusation, spiritual warfare, sometimes from those that are close to you in painful ways, uh, welcome. <laughs> this is what David experienced. This is what Jesus experienced. This is what the apostles throughout uh, you know, church history have experienced when we enter into uh, this pursuit of the presence of God. There's also this, uh, this uh, affliction and this pain um, that, that's really in it. And Jesus is our uh, reassurance. He's, for me, uh, I, I look and I go, okay, I'm in good company. I'm with Jesus, <laughs> the one who suffered, right? The one who had zeal in his heart, right? That's what, he's, that's what John said Jesus about Jesus, that zeal for his house has consumed him. When he went into the temple and, and turned over the tables, he quoted David and said, zeal for your house has consumed me um he said that's what was happening in Jesus's heart and uh and so there's this beautiful parallel between what David endured what Jesus endured obviously was a lot more than what David endured but as we pioneer places of God's presence we can expect hardships tension reproach warfare misunderstanding accusation challenges um extravagant worship always experiences pushback um whether it's David, whether it's Mary at the feet of Jesus, whether it's pouring out the alabaster jar. Every time you see extravagant worship in the earth, there's pushback against it. And so if you guys are trying to host tents and do burns and do houses of prayer, um, then, then we are going to experience pushback um, as, as, as we do that. So be encouraged. <laughs> Encourage me. This, my last point is the Encouragement. This is the encouragement, and I'll start with a story. There's this intercessor lady in our hometown, Greenville, North Carolina. She passed away a few years ago. She, for decades, was faithful in praying for our city, m- uh, mentoring, discipling younger women, especially, and always full of hope, uh, always like 90-something years old, and God's doing a new thing, I'm excited about what the Lord's doing. Don't you feel it? And uh, I mean, and so just like really like Anna, you know, Luke 2, just like this faithful in prayer and fasting. Uh, Her name was Nancy, and um, me and my wife got to sit down with her one time and just spend some time with her. And I said, Nancy, how have you stayed faithful in prayer for decades, you know, and so hopeful in prayer? And she paused for a minute, and I'm like getting ready to like get my notes out and like top five tips for Staying faithful in prayer, you know. i can make a blog post out of this. Um, and she just, she like paused and looked at me and said, he won't let me go. <laughs> and I was like, uh, right in my heart, like, okay, put my notepad away. Like, <laughs> totally different paradigm. I was thinking, what are you doing? Like, how are you, you know, like, how are you orienting your life so that you'll be faithful to the Lord? And, and for her, it wasn't about her faithfulness to him. It was about his faithfulness to her. And I think that's the same switch that happened in David's life, is he, is he wants to build the temple for God, right? He comes to Nathan and says, I want to do this. And Nathan's like, sounds great. And then Nathan gets woken up by the Lord. This is in, you know, Second Samuel 7. And, uh, and God comes to him through, through the prophet Nathan and says, you want to build a house for me, but God says, I'm going to build a house for you. And so God makes a covenant with David, a promise that his, his uh, offspring will reign forever on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and that that kingdom will have no end. And so this is the covenant God makes with David, and that's what the second half of Psalm 132 is. And this is what, in the midst of the affliction and the pushback and the, the challenges, this is what keeps me. Locked in is God's faithfulness to do what he desires to do. It really is true that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. God is building his house. He's going to do what he's promised to do. And the son, the son that would sit on the throne of David in the short term was Solomon, right? Solomon built the temple. But it's Jesus, just to be clear. Jesus is the son of David who will rule and reign forever on the throne of David and over the kingdom of God on the earth And this was an unconditional covenant that God made to David. David didn't have to do anything in order to have this covenant fulfilled, unlike some covenants uh, that were that were conditional. God says, "I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. I'm going to have a son who rules and reigns on the earth. He will fill the earth with the glory of God, and he will have his way." And this is what he promises. The Lord has chosen Zion; He's desired it for His dwelling place this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell for I have desired it. This is what God wants to do. So my encouragement is not my vow to God, but it's God's vow to us. It's not my promise and commitment to him, but it's his promise to us. It's not my zeal, but it's his zeal um, that keeps, keeps my heart steady in the midst of it. I mean, Um, as, As we prepare resting places for him, he's preparing a resting place for his bride for all eternity. And this is my encouragement. David's ability as a sinful man to fulfill his own vow was limited. Jesus, as a sinless man, was not lacking. Jesus did do everything to see this Psalm 132 vow answered. He gave up his own life on the cross to win God's people back and see the earth redeemed. And so I hold on to... Not my own vision or my own zeal or my own passion. I hold on to Isaiah 56, 7. My house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Okay. Isaiah 62. I have set watchmen on the walls, and they will cry out day and night until Jerusalem becomes a praise in the earth. Malachi 1, In every place, incense will rise and a pure offering. Okay. God's promised he's going to do it, right? Uh, I will restore the fallen tabernacle of David and repair its breaches. Okay, that's something God's going to do, right? The gospel will go to the ends of the earth, you know, to every people group, and then the end will come. Like these are the, these are the promises that I hold on to. It's God's, the, God's commitment to do this. So we should have vision for resting places in our cities, in our nation. We should pursue that. But, but the reason we should pursue that is because it's what God is pursuing. <laughs> this is what he's doing. This is his agenda. This is on his heart. This is his plan. And we get to be a part of it. This is what he wants to do. And, um, and that keeps me in it, <laughs> even when it's hard. Um, and I'll just mention this last verse here at the very end, Isaiah 9, where it says, The increase of his government and peace will have no end. And it says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's what encourages me is his zeal and his commitment to bring his kingdom. And uh, and to have His presence be central in our lives and in the nations. So, all right, let me pray. God, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your commitment to us, God. Thank you for your covenant to David, the sure mercies of David. Thank you that you keep your promises and your word is good. I thank you, God, that you won't let us go. Thank you that you are committed to us. You're committed to our hearts. You're faithful to our families and to our cities. God, that you will do all that you've promised to do. And we thank you that we get to be a part of seeing your kingdom come and your will done in our cities, in our nations. Lord, I pray that you would uh, remind us of your faithfulness today. That you would connect our hearts to the broader storyline of what you're doing and the prophetic promises in our hearts Lord more than just a season Lord more than uh, a moment of inspiration or prophetic word Lord we thank you that there's eternal promises in your heart God there's eternal words and things you have said that you will do I pray you'd root our hearts in them and uh, and that you would help us to not grow weary in doing good um, but to be faithful to continue to sow and then in time we will reap harvest and um, Lord, we just pray your glory and your presence would rest on our cities. God, as those that are in this room are um, gathering together in their cities as they're building prayer rooms and hosting events and leading churches, God, I just pray your glory would fill every city, every gathering, every community, that that they would become resting places of your presence and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.